shirts are all those up, Swindon fans. But you're not there yet. in on goal and Donate! 3-0! The Amex goes wild! What a goal! And now Murray could be in. Mistake from Tompkins. What a goal from Glenn Murray. He's hardly had a touch. On he'll go. Michael Smith. Into what he shot! Hello and welcome to episode 56 of Together, a Brighton and Hove Albion podcast. Uh, we are coming in on the back of probably the most thrilling home game uh, in terms of close calls that we can remember in quite some time. Uh, reminded me a little bit of Sheffield Wednesday a couple of years back where we beat them with 10 men uh, with, I think it was Knockout scoring a winner very late on. Um, obviously away from home, we had Glenn Murray's winner. Uh, at Birmingham and a couple of others, but there is very few things better than a stoppage time minute, stoppage time own goal, uh, own goal to win us the game. Um, and it came up trumps this weekend. Uh, it was pretty nice to see, considering that the weekend before we uh, conceded a 94th minute loser. So there's our three points back for that. Um, as usual, we have our top five stories of the week decided by myself. Um, Two of them are obviously going to be uh, Everton and a fixture coming up, Norwich. Um, but the three before that, uh, we have a couple. Um, first of all, it's just really to highlight story number five is highlighting Albion in the community. Um, there has been a couple of players uh, making the news uh, on the Albion website as late. Uh, one of them, Bruno, uh, ex-captain, of course. Um, he has not only started uh, with us for his... Um, his whatever his position is with the first team right now um but he is the first ever official patron of albion in, in the community um he has been to quite a few of them by all accounts um and he went along to a tournament for adults uh taking part in the charity's albion goals inclusion and employability program um he has done a lot of work uh, in the city center he's done a work, lot of work with uh, charities outside of here so he came along um, and combined free weekly football sessions with a chance to gain qualifications, which is great for those people involved. Um, not only that, but he also joined in one of the teams for a game, which can only uh, only make things better, right? You can go home and say you play with Bruno on your way home. Uh, and they got their first win of the day because of it, so good for them. Um, not only that, but Matty Ryan has also been hard at work, um, and they had a collection yesterday um, for those at the ground. Uh, they raised more than £35,000 last year at the same uh, same collection. Uh, they haven't posted numbers as to what they managed to collect this week, uh, but obviously hoping that they can beat that or match it at least. Um, Matt Ryan is, uh, I believe, the official partner uh, of Albion in the community for the men's team. Uh, Laura Rafferty is the same for the women's side. Um, and J.D. Yeselada, 
I hope I pronounced that right, um, is the is the other representative there that I don't think is affiliated with any other sides. I think she's like the other side of Albion in the community. But uh, it's just worth noting that they do a lot of good stuff uh, around the county um, and it's worth highlighting when we can or when appropriate um, just how useful they are. So hope you all gave as much as you could to them. Um, and if you couldn't, I hope you get to use them in the future. Um, yeah. So moving on to story number four. Uh, story number four is um, is the story of the under-21s game, or under-23s it is now, um, for the leasing.com trophy. So we went over the leasing.com trophy a couple of weeks ago uh, in regards to how well the under-23s are doing this year, even with all of their players that really were their main skeleton of their team uh last year have all gone out on loan or are now playing in the main team aaron Connolly, alzate guy Carez, uh ostergaard there's a whole bunch of them out there um that are either with the first team or out on loan playing their trade somewhere else uh but they have been doing incredibly well regardless it's a very young under 23 side and they are really excelling in what they're being made to do um and they have to play late in orient um, in the middle of November, which is fast approaching, by the way. Uh, used to be known as the Checker Trade Trophy, of course. Um, they have been included as one of the 16 invited category one sides to enter the competition. Uh, we, they must field six players, at least, under the age of 21 in their st- starting lineup for all matches. Um, and what's happened is that Leighton Orient um, were hosting the tie. So it's Leighton Orient the main adult side against uh, Brighton's under-23s. Um, we've already won uh, our games against Wimbledon and Southend United, respectively. Um, and this is really to secure qualification for the knockout stages. And what happened was that Ajax, uh, the biggest team in the Netherlands, are due to play Chelsea, I believe, um, that same night or the night before, well, the night before now. Um, and what happened was that I believe a lot of Ajax fans... Uh, didn't manage to get tickets or were traveling over to try to get tickets. Um, And what they had decided was that if they couldn't get tickets to the Chelsea game, they were going to go to the Leighton Orient versus Brighton game just to come over and watch a game. Uh, It was roughly supposed to be two to 3,000 Ajax fans show up. Um, Bear in mind, two to 3,000 is probably about the number you would expect to show up for the match entirely. So... A, Leighton Orient were looking at doubling their attendance for the evening, um, and B, you were looking at 3,000 Ajax fans showing up at some random Leighton Orient game and, you know, creating quite an atmosphere. Um, But as with all things exciting and fun, uh, the police have stepped in and ruined it for everybody. Um, The police have decided this week that they're going to move the game uh, to the night after, um, thereby ruining the entire plan, um, and most Ajax fans will have gone home, Uh, and the police can settle themselves with a nice lazy night doing absolutely nothing, Uh, which is a big shame because it's going to have cost Leighton Orient money, or rather it would have been a nice boost to their their coffers uh, if all of these people had showed up. And it's a shame that such a fun moment is being taken away because I think it would have been really entertaining uh, just to watch the highlights to see 2,000 Ajax fans with zero allegiance to either team uh, just having a great time at Leighton Orient's ground for a crappy leasing.com trophy match. But they had to ruin it, so uh, that's that. It's just a shame that we can't have nice things. Uh, moving on to story number three. So story number three 
um, is Ezekiel Shalotto. He is back. Um, he was out for a long, long time. Um, he went out on loan to Chivo, Chivo uh, in Italy, I believe. Um, he was, I'm not sure how many games he actually played over there. That's just bad research on my side. Um, but I believe he did a cruciate um, and he was out for quite a long time. Um, but over the last couple of months, I believe, uh, he has started to train um, and has been part of the squad ever since. Um, I believe it was, I saw a quote from him here, um, if you are mentally strong, everything is easier. By the third month of rehab, I wanted to play again. Um, by the fifth and sixth months, he felt ready to return and felt as though he was over the injury. Um, but of course, these things aren't as easy as they seem. Um, and he had a lot more work to do. So uh, he really credited a lot of the teammates uh, getting through. Um, that that injury, these sort of things can take a real mental toll. So it's tough being in the in the medical area day in day out and watching all of your friends or colleagues um, going out and playing the sport that you just want to get involved in. So uh, he was very motivated, wants to play again, um, and he was a player that I really earmarked as somebody who could excel uh, in Potter's three five two formation that he or three four three. Um, formation that he was playing at Ostersund uh, and had started playing early on at the Albion and he actually got to come on yesterday um, for 20 minutes which was huge uh, for him more than anybody um, and also a big chance for Potter to see what he could do. Uh, it ended up not really doing much because all of our play ended up either being defensive or going down the left-hand side after that um, just a manner in the way at which it worked out but uh, it was noted that at the end of the game, full-time whistle, he was uh, absolutely like in tears with uh, the medical staff afterwards because, you know, this is a huge progress point for him. Um, and I, I think he's someone that we might well see uh, more often going forward um, because Montoya started incredibly well this season, uh, but he has undoubtedly been struggling of late. I don't know whether it's just uh, fitness or whether he's carrying a knock or whether it's just he's struggling to adapt to the the system the same as everybody else but uh if anywhere is is a spot for them to capitalize on it is right wing back right now um and the greyhound has got a hell of an opportunity to do that so we shall see um but i'm hopeful that he makes this mark because in the same way that uh Gaetan Bong frustrates me incredibly, uh, even when he doesn't do a great deal wrong, just because he's so, I don't know. But Shalotto, um is the same way in the way that I can't help but smile when he has the ball, because he is just ridiculous. Uh, he runs like an actual greyhound, um, and he just looks nuts. So his hair is fantastic. He looks like a Jesus guy. Love it. Give me more of Ezekiel Shalotto in this Bryant side, please. So moving on to story number two, uh, and if you've noticed, my voice is a bit raspy today, and that's why, uh, because we're moving on to the Everton game. So let me just take a drink, and we'll carry on. So let's do this in sections, shall we? Um, we're going to hit the stats, of course, that we always do, um, and the players and their performances, and I want to hit up the flashpoints, um, because we had so many things going on yesterday, it's worth covering each goal um, and moment in its entirety because there's a lot of discussion on all of them. So, goal number one, uh, Aaron Connolly does incredibly well holding the ball up. 
uh, kept it close to his feet. He didn't really have a great deal of uh, space to work in, um, and he had two choices, really, look for a pass or win a foul, um, and he won a great foul right on the edge of the area, um, and Pascal Gross stepped up to take the free kick. Uh, the goal itself, I feel, has been a bit harsh on Gross because a lot of people are saying that Pickford should have done better. Pickford should have saved it. It wasn't a great free kick. Um, respectfully, I disagree with that. I think the power that Gross got on that with such a short run-up was incredibly impressive. Um, the Just the position of him in the free kick, it didn't really look like he was going to go for some kind of rocket that he did. It looked like he was either going to go for some weird tricksy play um, or just like a gentle... Uh, position kind of shot finesse shot into the top corner um he didn't do it either he absolutely hammered that ball into the into the side of the net uh pickford's positioning was all wrong no doubt uh and if it was better um and he was in the right position i'm sure he does save it but the sheer force that the ball was hit uh, left him with no chance at all um and if that was hit with less power he still easily saves that so you can say what you want about jordan pickford but the guy is about six foot five um, so, you know, it, you can only account just how bad Pickford was to some extent. It's still a great goal, 1-0. Um, going forward, we had 55% possession uh, for, the, for, the, for the rest of the game. 81% um, pass accuracy to their 80%. Um, and these stats that are coming up, it really shows that by all accounts, it was a very even game. Uh, Everton edged the shot count, 10 shots to our 8 uh, they won more aerial battles, 11 to our 7, um, something you don't often see against the Albion, uh, especially in the last two years with the way that we defend um, and Glenn Murray being our striker. Uh, but with our strikers being so short and our play being so much along the ground now, this is something that you're probably going to see more of as the as the weeks go by. Um, one thing we don't want to see more of is the corners. Um, we had zero corners yesterday to their five, something we need to uh, get a little bit better at creating those chances um and we gave away uh, the ball or were dispossessed on the ball 11 times to their eight so this game was rather even but in summary uh both numerically and just on the basic eye test everton did have the best of the game uh i think you'll agree with that too um and from one of those corners uh brings us to goal number two so goal number two brings it one one uh, about four and a half minutes i think after the pascal gross free kick um, and it was terrible defending. Um, apparently, according to a lot of fans online that I've seen, uh, Montoya was earmarked as earmarked as the man supposed to be marking Richarlison. Um, if it is true, uh, I would like to know a couple of things. A, why did he just let him ghost to the front post with no, no kind of pursuit? Uh, B, why we gave him to Montoya to mark in the first place when he is a very serious aerial threat. Uh, Montoya is not. And we have three centre-halves that would be much better suited to marking him. And see who was Webster marking at the front post. Um, because he was all on his own up there with nobody around him until Richarlison leapt in front of him. Uh, it may be a case that some of them were man-marking and some of them were zonal. I despise zonal marking with a passion. Um, if that's the case, it was awful regardless. Uh, because we got it all wrong. Um, it was as easy a goal as it comes. Uh, Webster ended up getting given the own goal. And that's it. It's 1-1. Um, 
The rest of the game went the way of the stats, really. Everton edged it in pretty much almost every category. Uh, we never quite looked great on the ball. Um, we did change our formation at halftime, which was really important. Uh, we moved to three at the back. Alzate at left wing back now. Burn, Dunk and Webster at the back with Montoya moving slightly further up on that right wing back. Um, we looked a lot more comfortable almost immediately. Dan Burn is a much better centre half on that left hand side than he is a left back. Um, and it was great to see Alzate being able to move out there. Um, we had 43% possession. Uh, this is the big part. Sorry, I've jumped ahead of myself. So we made a double substitution at 65 minutes. Um, Trossard on. And I believe it was, I think it was Shalotto. Yeah, uh, Shalotto um, and Trossard on. Uh, and we ended up having 43% possession from the 65th minute, which was the substitutions to their goal, which was about the 76th minute. Um, and it did feel like if either team were going to score, it was them. Um, we looked well out of sorts. Um from the minute we got that team on, we looked like we had to adjust. The new players on the pitch had to adjust just and it showed um, because goal number three pops up. Uh, and it was one of the first times I can remember them playing it through the middle on the ground. Uh, they had been playing, getting the ball out wide all day um, and causing us very little problems. Uh, but they played it through the middle and they ended up scoring. Uh, it was a real slick passing move. Uh, they cut up the defence similar to uh, one or two of Man City's goals, actually, uh, at the Etihad. Um, Webster looked really poor. Uh, he was played around. Um, and, you know, Stevens and Proper didn't look much better. Uh, Ryan rushes out, but it was slotted past him 2-1. Uh, no goal line heroics from Dunk this time. Uh, all that work gone. Another lead lost. Team deflated. Fans deflated. Uh, I thought that was it, honestly. Um, we hadn't played well enough to win. Um, it didn't look like we were going to win, and coming from behind two win points is incredibly unlike the Albion in the Premier League era. Uh, thankfully, Graham Potter uh, and Leandro Trossard had some very different ideas to the rest of us, um, and that comes in the the uh, the idea of goal four. So goal number four uh, to make it 2-2, and this is the biggest conversation point of the entire week, really, um, the penalty. So... The ball comes through the air. Aaron Connolly uh, looks to shield off Michael Keane, uh, chest the ball down and take control of it in the penalty area. Uh, Michael Keane, in trying to bring himself in front of Connolly on the ball, uh, treads on Connolly's foot. Quite clearly treads on it um, as Connolly is trying to turn and Connolly goes down. If anybody, which I'm sure a lot of you have, has been trod on the top of your foot by studs, it hurts like a son of a bitch. Um, it's one of the most painful things to have happen uh, when you're playing football, being, being trod on the top of your foot uh, because the top of your foot is quite thin, the boot material, and it's an absolute killer. Connolly goes down, hurt, understandably, um, because Keane is a big lad, and the referee uh, doesn't really see much of, much of anything in this situation because he's quite far away. VAR, however, does, and they want to check it out. So as the penalty check is ongoing, uh, injury group come out, take a look at Connolly, make sure he's okay, all's good there. Um, and VAR, after about two minutes, I think it was, awarded the penalty to the Albion. Fans went wild. Keane went wild in a different way. Uh, 
first point, first talking point of the situation here is how on earth did uh, a single Everton player not come away with a yellow card after the protests? Um, really weak refereeing there. I think it was quite clearly a yellow card situation where you only needed to book one and the rest would have shut up, but he allowed them all to scream in his face. So, you know, you win stupid, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. Um, but the biggest point is that, was it a foul? Well, yes, it was. Um, if that happens on the halfway line, uh, the ref is obviously going to be a lot closer and the ref gives that foul nine times out of ten on the halfway line. Now, you can't say that, yeah, but because it's in the penalty area, it's not going to get given. That's not that's not how the world works. A foul is a foul wherever it is. Um, and this is exactly what VAR is here for, right? Like It's here to see things that the referee doesn't and make those decisions based on that. This is what it's here for more than the one and a half millimeter offside decisions that it's given. Um, this is to help the referee be a second set of eyes to see things he doesn't. Now, I know that VAR has been inconsistent, and I know that VAR has not done that job several times already this season. Um, there was a very clear red card against Burnley when they played us this week, this week, this year, um, and if the VAR had stepped in and given that yellow card or the red, uh, we would have won that game. We'd have been on an extra three points, um, but they didn't. Uh, but this time they did. And people can complain and people can moan about VAR giving this, um, but they need to be, they need to be complaining about the lack of consistency, not the decision itself. The decision was a good one. Um, if I was Everton, I would be annoyed simply because you can probably have that exact same challenge given next week and they not get a penalty for it. And that is not down to the, the, the challenge. It's down to VAR and the inconsistencies. So if you want to be mad, be mad at the inconsistent behavior from the people working on VAR. Don't be mad at the fact that Michael Keane fouled him because it was a foul. So upstep Neil Mopai uh, had a good game by all accounts. He was actually my man of the match, which we'll get to shortly. Spoiler alert. Um, but he stepped up. Pickford had saved three and four. Um, and pretty chill run up. Waited for Pickford to make his move and slotted it straight down the middle. Um, call as you like. And he was someone that I always take a look at the penalty kicks takers whenever they walk up. And I always like say to somebody who's with me whether it's my mates or the missus uh whether i feel they look confident or not and i've probably never seen someone look more relaxed in their life uh he just didn't care um slotted it easy peasy 2-2 two -two. um and the game turned on its head from there uh for the final 15 minutes from 80 minutes to 96 we were unbelievable um we it's probably what I imagined we were like at Villa for the first half an hour, which I haven't watched. Um, we were unreal. We dominated the game um, and pretty much gave them no quarter whatsoever until the final couple of minutes. Uh, and, you know, as the clock ticked down, we're about 92 minutes in. And I thought, damn, like our moment has passed. The chance to win it is gone. It looks like we'll be defending against Everton for the last couple of minutes and the whistle will blow. Uh, never did I think they were going to score, to be fair. I thought we'd walked away with a 2-2 draw and was pretty happy with it. Um, they got a free kick in a dangerous area where they could really loft the ball in and cause some problems for us. Two minutes to go. Ryan catches the ball comfortably. Big sigh of relief. Happy days. Uh, Matt Ryan looks to play it out quickly. My first thought was, why would you do that? I'm prob we're probably going to get caught off the ball again and we could give them a chance. Uh, that was incredibly wrong. Um, burnout, 
to Alzate, I believe. Alzate up to Trossard. Trossard back to Dale Stevens. Byrne is absolutely loping forward like a giant horse. Dale Stevens, great cutting pass through to Byrne. Keeps on going. Side foots it out to Trossard. Trossard runs down the byline, smashes it in, and who's there but Glenn Murray? Oh, wait. Luca Dina intercepts and puts it in the back of the net. Pandemonium in the stands. Pandemonium on the pitch. Villa fans on their face. Villa players on their face. I'm doing laps around the house. The dogs leaping. The cats are meowing. Victory is ours. We won. And anybody who says that VAR is ruining the game, watch those reactions and tell me that you can't celebrate the same way. Because we all sure as shit did. 16 seconds it took from the moment it left Ryan's hands to the moment the net rippled. What a counter-attack. What a game. What a win. Happy days. First stoppage time winner in the Premier League for the Albion uh, ever. So, well, obviously, in the Premier League era, happy days. Three points, well won. Player stats. Take a look at what the uh, the key moments from the, the Albion players. Uh, key passes are at an all-time low. Uh, Mopai played the most key passes, two, um, which says all you need to know, really. Pascal Gross, zero key passes. Unheard of for Pascal Gross. Uh, says a lot about what the game was really like. Uh, very scrappy. Tough to really create chances. Um, Alzate and Mopai with three shots apiece, which was the most uh, of the team. Alzate played really well, wasn't afraid to come forward and take shots, which is something he's struggled with in the past. Uh, Webster led the way on pass accuracy of 91.4%. Um, Murray won the most aerial battles in the side with only about 10 minutes on the pitch. He won three aerial battles. That's almost 50% of our aerial duels that Murray won um, in the final 10 minutes of the game. Uh, Dunk, Webster, and Dale all had 84, 83, and 81 touches apiece. Uh, Nobody else really came close to that. The rest were low 70s and below. Uh, So they really ruled the roost for us. Um, Alzate, four successful dribbles, exceeded everybody else by far. Uh, And another big talking point is Connolly won five fouls uh, this weekend. One of them... Two of them came from goals. Uh, Connolly won the foul that led to the free kick that went in, and Connolly won the penalty. Uh, he is really doing the same job that Murray does, uh, but with about less a foot less of height. Um, him and Mopai won about eight between them, uh, so they are really forming a big partnership there. Uh, Burn six tackles, uh, followed by Dale with five. Um, Byrne and Dale Stevens really ran the show defensively um, because Byrne six great tackles, Dale with five, uh, and then Dale made five interceptions and Byrne made four, both the most in the team. Um, however, on the on the negative side, Dale and Davey did commit three fouls apiece, uh, which, speaking of Davey proper, I felt he was probably our worst player yesterday, um, followed closely by Montoya, um, and Webster didn't have his best day either. I think that if there are players that are worried about losing their place, uh, I think Montoya and Webster, Montoya and Proper uh, are them. So, uh, especially with Moy coming back um, and now Zate playing so well, I think both of them are in uh, a bit of trouble um, if they don't pick themselves up. So, finally, story number one. Um, next week is another huge game for the Albion. Uh, we play at home to Norwich. Um, a Norwich side that are atrocious away from home. Uh, their stats are horrific. Um, their home record, they, they really look an awful lot like us. Um, when we were playing in our first year under Chris Hutton, 
they were incredibly good away from home, uh, at home and terrible away, and that's exactly what's happening here. Um, this is recorded before the Manchester United game this afternoon, uh, but they played four games at home, nine goals, 12.3 shots a game, three at six yellow cards, uh, roughly about 50% possession, um, and are incredibly they're doing incredibly well. Away from home, not so much the same story. Uh, they played five games away from home so far. Um, and it's not like they've been to an incredible amount of different tough places to go. Uh, they've been to West Ham. Um, they have been to Burnley. They've been to Palace. Uh, they've been to Bournemouth. And of course, I believe they went to Liverpool early on. Um, so that's their five games. Uh, not something you would expect to be too difficult. Uh, it's not like they've played the top six all the way through. Um, but they have scored one goal in five games away from home. Uh, they are averaging about 10 shots per game. Eight yellow cards, just over 50% possession again. Uh, one goal in five games is horrific. Um, and that goal was against Liverpool, so they haven't scored away from home um, since the opening day of the season. It is a game that we should be looking to really take advantage of, regardless of the result against Manchester United this weekend, um, because they are two totally different teams home and away. Um now, looking at their strengths of their characteristics, uh, they are very strong at creating chances using through balls, uh, something we'll have to be very careful of because it seems to be something we're, we're really poor at. Uh, we did it this weekend. We allowed Calvert-Lewin to come in with a through ball and score, and we also allowed uh, Manchester City to run rampant with through balls and Chelsea to do the same. Um, they're also incredibly good at protecting a lead, uh, something that we need to be very wary of because we don't want to allow them to get a goal. Uh, and then defend that lead because they'll probably do pretty well. Uh, their weaknesses, however, are vast. Uh, they are very weak at defending aerial duels. They are very weak defending against skillful players, Leandro Trossard. Uh, they are very weak about defending against attacks down the wings. Left wing back, right wing back, Trossard, Gross. This is like made for them. Uh, they cannot help but foul in dangerous areas. Hello, set pieces. They are incredibly bad at defending set pieces. Hello, uh, defending against long shots. If there's ever a time for people to start wanting to take some shots from distance, next week is the week. Uh, and they're also incredibly poor at stopping opponents from creating chances in general. Um, this game is right there for the taking. Um, and with the four after that, the four games coming up after that, which are brutal, uh, this is a game we, we absolutely must be winning. Um, I wanted four to six points from these next two games. Uh, we already have three. Um, I think it's fair to be greedy and want another sit three this weekend. Uh, I think we were, we were able to do it, um, especially with Manchester United away coming up after that. And then at home to Leicester, who are a top six side this year. They are incredibly well, well organized under Brendan Rodgers. They just put nine past Southampton. Um, Liverpool and then Arsenal are both away from home. Um so the end of November, beginning of December is a brutal running. Um, and to sit on 15 points before that would be incredibly handy uh, because not only are Norwich below us and it's essentially a six pointer, but the next four games, um, I think coming away with any points at all is going to be a, a testament to just how much progress we've made if we can get a result against any of those four teams. Um, so that is about it from me this week. Uh, have a good week. I know I will after that kind of result. It always makes it a lot easier. Um, and I will see you all next week to hopefully review um, another three points and continue progress up the table before a brutal running. Have a good weekend. Have a good week. <laughs>